Hello and welcome to Brett Easton Hell Yes. I'm your host, Katie Wright. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up that there were some technical difficulties with this episode. So uh, you'll you'll notice a drop off in sound quality around 40 minutes in. Uh, I did my best and I hope you enjoy the episode anyway. So we'll go now to my discussion with Maddie Emanheiser. constant and sharp, and I do not hope for a better world for anyone. My guest this week is the wonderful, very intelligent, very film-knowledgeable <laughs> Maddie Ebenheiser. Did I say it right? Oh my god. Yeah. Yes. No, you said it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, together we are talking about American Psycho 2000. Maddie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Thank you for letting me come in and see your beautiful grumpy dog. <laughs> He's very grumpy. He's made some special guest appearances on this podcast when he just couldn't hold it in anymore. <laughs> he might have, if you listened to Tom's episode, you you may have heard he, he threw a couple of fits. Um, <laughs> Maddie, this is a very exciting episode because American Psycho is pro- pretty inarguably Brett's biggest claim to fame and the movie adaptation of it is a bigger deal <laughs> than the book uh, version of it so this really this movie that we're going to talk about is most people's first introduction to Brady Stanellis and frequently their only awareness of Brady Stanellis uh, so I'd like to ask you what is your history knowledge background with Brady Stanellis like that is Actually, you just described me. <laughs> Not surprising. Um, yeah, as like a, a film person, uh, American Psycho is like always sort of like a milestone. And I haven't read any of the books um, or any of his books. Uh, and I have only seen American Psycho as far as adaptations go, which is, I think, really interesting from, like, hearing other people talk about uh, his works um, and how they've been adapted. So, yeah, really just American Psycho. Um, it was really fun to revisit. I, I think it's a movie that I've I've read a lot of um, people who have talked about revisiting it and how beneficial that is. And I think that it was in this case as well. You see a lot on the second, third watch. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, you said it's a milestone, like a milestone for you as like a film person. Yeah, well, I, I think it's definitely a movie that there's a lot of stuff happening. And I think it definitely like challenges you as a viewer. But I also think just in terms of like movies made by women, uh, there's a decent amount like like there were a couple during that time. There were like um, uh, a lot of the works of classic literature that were readapted to like modern times like like the 10 things i hate about you's and the cluelesses that were directed by women but like this is one where it's like pretty brutal and like it, it's a very different movie in that sense and so i think a lot of not that it's the only like it's because it is it is a work critiquing a certain period of time it's a really good satire but i also think that 
a lot of times when we talk about female film- filmmakers, Mary Heron is a big name and that work is her biggest work. So, yeah. Yeah, this is like this is interesting as a as a woman directed film because it's like one of the only movies directed by a woman I can think of that like the machoist, like broiest dudes, really like like this yeah. and the Matrix yeah. <laughs> are like the only ones that I could really think of. Um, and the Matrix is obviously a different situation, a little bit um, because at the time it came out, they didn't know it was a movie directed by women. Um, but yeah, this is like really embraced by people who maybe Mary Heron probably wouldn't get along with. <laughs> if she yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, do you are you very familiar with Mary Heron's like the rest of her work? I'm not at all. I don't know anything about her. Yeah, no, not not particularly. Um her I've been meaning to watch she has a, a show called Alias Grace that was a Netflix show that I've been meaning to watch that I haven't. Um but yeah, I haven't kept up. And and a lot of times and I think she's like really sadly stereotypical in this sense, is that like years and years go between projects that she does usually so i think like her first project after and i could be wrong but i think her first project after american psycho was in 2005 so that's like a five-year gap and if you're not like if your name's not christopher nolan that's like (laughs) a lot of uh you know that time isn't spent like uh marinating on your next (laughs) grand idea that a studio is going to give you 200 million dollars to make it's like scrapping to get more work um do you think that that's because it like a function of her being a female director or is that kind of just the gig for directors in general unless they're like the 10 biggest ones. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to make a movie as a director, no matter who you are. But it is definitely like that is that is a trend. Um, my one of my favorite directors is Karen Kusama. And that sadly also like happened to her. Um, is she the one who did the invitation? Yeah. I thought I rewatched <laughs> this because so many smart and like borderline film snobby people love that movie. <laughs> and when I watched it, I thought it was such trash. Brad Easton Ellis also loves that movie. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, oh, that, that like, that like, I feel, I, I get that actually. Like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but so yeah, yeah. I gotta give it another shot because I did not get it the first time. <laughs> I'll watch it with you anytime. Okay, let's do it. Um, but, but yeah, that's, I think it's, it it is a product of just, uh, directing is is scrounging for work for the most part if you're not a huge name, but I think it also is like compounded, right? Um, if you're a woman, so totally. or anyone who's not, yeah, a cis white dude, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so American Psycho, extremely controversial novel, almost didn't get released, got dropped by its publisher, picked up by a different publisher, um, protested, Brett got death threats, widely banned, um, hated by hated by the the uh, cis white feminists of the time um, and widely understood to be a completely unfilmable book on top of this. And then here's this film version of it. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to dig into whether whether it could be filmed. <laughs> I thought it was so fascinating to read that to read why Brett Snells thought it was unadaptable mm-hmm. was and and one and this probably isn't the only point, but the only point that I saw um that he brought up was that in the book you are in Patrick Bateman's perspective, so you don't know whether all these things have happened or not. But I think that holds true in the movie too. Yeah. And like that's a like 
having having your character ha- being in a certain perspective where you don't know where you have an unreliable narrator and you don't know what's real and what's not is not like it's not like that it's not like American Psycho was the first film to do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, like Hitchcock did that. Yeah, it probably even precedes so, Hitchcock. Yeah, I was just, I, I, I thought it was really interesting because then you've also mentioned that he's like a big movie fan. So I was like, yeah, it's I, kind of weird how that's what he thought was unfilmable about it. But yeah, but I, I think it does an interesting job working with that, working with that aspect of the book. Yeah. Um, that is something, I guess, I'll wait, we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, <laughs> Brett, one thing about um, Brett, I don't I don't know how familiar you are with his whole persona. Um, <laughs> he says a lot of shit and a lot of shit that contradicts the other shit. Um, <laughs> and, I, and the film adaptation of American Psycho is uh, one, one particular thing that I've heard him say just like so many different things about. He says he loves it. He says he hates it. Like, he's like, it's a good enough movie. It's, it completely fails as a movie. Like, oh, it does, it, like, it betrays what my book was trying to do, but then he'll be like, people didn't get what my book was doing until they saw the movie. Like, he's all, he's all over the place. And I think it kind of boils down ultimately, if I had to armchair psychology him, which is really what this podcast is all about <laughs> at the end of the day. I think, um, I think that the movie, it, takes his book in a kind of different direction, um, works, which works with a lot of the same themes and, and sort of works to the same goal, but is ultimately like very, a very different beast from his book. And I think he is like happy to have the notoriety, um, and like happy that it's popular and probably very happy that it, that's probably a huge amount of his, his uh, funds <laughs> to this day is probably movie royalties from American Psycho. Um, but I think there's also a little bit of like offense or like hurt that like yeah. his, his book that he felt was much, <laughs> a much stronger work or much more multi-layered, much more interesting. Uh, like people like a this watered down version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's also said that American Psycho is his most, um, his most autobiographical novel, um, which he's also said about some other things too. But I think it's, <laughs> I buy it that it's his most autobiographical novel if you go with the interpretation that he's not actually committing the murders. Because <laughs> I don't think Brett has it in him. Um, <laughs> um, but okay, so let's start at the beginning and, and talk our way through the movie. So we open uh, the opening credits white background and we've got this drizzling red liquid that kind of suggests blood but you can tell it's not quite blood (laughs) and then you get a knife lowering down and then you realize it's somebody making like a very fancy like i don't know it's like roast beef with raspberry puree drizzle on it really beautiful i love when people use stuff that like I, I love like the very very it's very Hannibal like the mm, TV show mm-hmm. where they make food like where they do these like or like works of art with like skeletons and shit like I love <laughs> when you combine the like the violence with something very like uh like I like fancy food or like yeah. st- like uh, I. Oh, that's such a good title sequence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that title sequence. And then it it I think it's kind of cool that 
it seems like it's in this kind of abstract space, but then it kind of neatly segues into like, oh, that plate is in the restaurant and like the characters are in that restaurant in the movie, which is not really a relationship that you often see like title sequences have with the, the first yeah. scene, right? Yeah. You I, know more about film than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I there's definitely like different styles that title sequences have gone through, but like that strikes me as as pretty creative use and also it really sets up um the like the the starkness of the colors throughout the film and it's very it's very clean and just precise Mm -hmm. and i think that that like describes like both the content of the film and the style of it in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and so I, i i think it's just such a good way of setting up the world that these people live in and it's like a world of like violence happening under like a like this pristine surface where it's like oh you're uncomfortable but you don't know why it's sort of like a very very different but like it's it's it has like a touch of like lynchian like aspects to it yeah um yeah you're right it totally does kind of set up that tone or the like feel of the movie it's very like sleek yeah and like streamlined and really beautiful like even the parts of this movie that are violent it kind of it never like gets ugly really yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's kind of like because that that veneer of yeah. beauty is like so important to the characters yeah and it, and it doesn't matter what's underneath as long as it's beautiful right yeah and i feel like that is one of the biggest places that this diverges from its source material because the the book it's like you understand that he's wearing expensive clothes, buying expensive stuff, going to like the nicest restaurants and everything. But as like an aesthetic ex- experience, I feel like the book is so hideous yes. and <laughs> not streamlined, like so all over the place, ugly, jagged edges and just like disgusting. And it goes so far with that, that even when it's, he's like describing the dinner he had, you're like, oh, like this is horrible. <laughs> or it's like a long sex scene. It's like, this is disgusting. I don't want <laughs> to hear anymore about these plates um yeah so that's i think that's one of the biggest differences between the two and i think that that's something that brett doesn't like about the movie is that it that it like smooths off those edges and i think to him it makes it less meaningful um in the fancy restaurant that they're eating in the open eating in in the opening scene is that it seems to me like a believable fancy 80s restaurant um, but it has like such a funeral parlor vibe. Yes, and I feel like everything in the '80s felt like a funeral parlor. I the the like the restaurants they visit, all of them just do such specific things for the scenes they they <laughs> that entails. Um, yeah, and then just the style. Like I I feel like and and they were removed when they made the movie. They were by like ten or fifteen probably closer to 15-ish years but like i feel that they 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 take this the style of the time and i i feel like they magnify it just a little bit Mm. like just enough to feel like yeah this is what the style was but this is 
too much of it. And yeah. this, is, this is just like, I can't, I don't want to look at this for too long. It's like, you can tell it's rich people shit, but it is so ugly. And it seems like so tacky. Um, so he is uh, at the table with, I should have taken note of the names of his friends. I have trouble remembering them. His best they friend is have, Timothy Bryce. Yeah, it's like, it's like Paul and Mar- like so. Paul I'm, Allen is his is Jared Leto is his enemy. Paul, yeah, um, Marcus Halberstrom Carthus is it's talked Ka- about something. a lot. Carthus something. Marcus Marcus. Marcus. I I read the script and I still couldn't. I just like I got to scenes where they were all talking together and I just ignored the names except for Patrick. Right. I was like. I, there it is. Changeable. The same function, yeah. <laughs> Especially like Timothy Bryce is differentiated a little bit because yeah. he's the most interesting person that Patrick knows. But those other two guys, like they might as well be the same character as and far I, as I'm concerned. Honestly, that feels like sort of a an intentional choice because like the him getting confused for other people right and especially like i love his like uh like he wears the same suits and the same glasses as me Mm -hmm. and we go to the same barber but my hair cuts a little bit (laughs) okay i pulled it up on imdb the other two friends uh are craig mcdermott and david van patten Van Patten. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and they always call each other by their last name. Oh, that's right. That's so that's right. probably why I was thinking his name was like something. I don't know. Right, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, and I noticed, I've seen this movie so many times, um, but <laughs> I never really noticed this before, but um, like one of the first things they say is, oh, is that Paul Allen over there? And then they say, no, 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 that's Paul. Or Patrick <laughs> says, no, that's not Paul Allen. That's Paul Allen over there. Um, Paul, Al- Paul Allen being the um, Jared Leto character. But I noticed that the person that Patrick corrects them to and says, no, that's Paul Allen, that's not Jared Leto either. <laughs> like, oh they're God. both wrong. Like, Patrick... You don't really the movie doesn't draw attention to Patrick mistaking people's identities. It kind of um it it could be easy to think like he's the one person aware enough to not do this, but in yeah. that moment it seems like oh he does it too. It also that and I'll probably table this for later, but the way that he um the way that others assign names of others to him, but mm-hmm. then he turns around and does that um yeah. When, you know, he like assigns name to, names to others. And I think yeah. that like the like identifying people is like an interesting theme that continues on that like I was mulling over a lot after I watched this because I was just like it happens so often and in disparate ways, but also like it all fits in with like the sort of and, and the way that Patrick is like depers- depersonalizes himself it, like with just like, oh, there's. I I am have a body, but like what's underneath right. it, and all that. Like like it brings up like weird questions of like the self that I don't know are wholly like. I guess I I shouldn't like. I don't. Know, it feels like a really big question that the that the movie doesn't wholly mean to ask, but mm-hmm. still brings up, which I think is like kind of what. I think the movie's dealing with so many issues, not necessarily that it means to bring up, but I think that that is like another mark of a good piece of art is that mm-hmm. like it's it deals with stuff and it can be interpreted in different ways and it still holds together because there's like a core concept. One of either Van Patten or McDermott, I, who knows which, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's Paul Allen, who knows, um, says something about 
the Jews, and I can't remember what exactly he says, but this is oh, yeah, a semi-iconic yeah. moment where Patrick Bateman says, cool it with the anti-Semitic mm-hmm. remarks, um, which is a which is a fun moment because if when you follow Patrick Bateman a little bit longer, you quickly realize that he does not care about anti-Semitism <laughs> or any human being. <laughs> oh my god, his big reading then again, his like big speech uh, where they're talking mm. about like things that are wrong with the world, mm, and it's like, mm. and and you can just like reading it is and being able to like because he he rapid fires it so fast in the movie that i think it's hard to like it's like oh he just knows what's happening in the news Uh and that becomes more clear when you look at it more closely and it's like oh you just pulled random shit and ideas from headlines because like (laughs) it does not cohese into like an ideology at all it's Uh just like a bunch of random stuff it's like i think we should do this and this and this and this and this and and none of what i'm saying really means anything because it's like he he's literally just like yeah and it's i it was kind of hilarious because i'm like oh yeah this is so empty and it's meant to be (laughs) and i think that's really funny yeah (laughs) yeah it ends in like and above all we need to promote social (laughs) conscious yeah Yeah. he says like yeah we We need need to we need to return to traditional on television which is but like his final his final like mission statement he says like above all we need to promote social awareness or like a phrase that just like i don't know what it means yeah 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 <laughs> it's like one of those made up business words yeah. synchronicity yeah totally uh yeah but it fools them they're all like the ones that are bored are like i don't care about your nerd talk and then, and then the oh, ones that are into so it are like funny oh, so that deep. they think patrick bateman's a dork i know like yeah. they say that multiple times and it's just I just think it's so funny that in their, like, in their group of people literally saying anything that is conscious of something other than, like, (laughs) drugs, women, or business is, like, oh, what a nerd. (laughs) You're aware of, of, like, others' existence. Right. What a nerd. (laughs) And that, like, even even a complete sociopath like Patrick Bateman is, like, too aware of others <laughs> of others agency and existence for their taste um oh so then we go into this is a uh another iconic i mean i guess this is a pretty iconic movie start to finish but one of the one of the big iconic scenes is patrick's morning routine where yes. he, he tells us about the the gel mask he'll put on if his face is puffy and he does <laughs> His, how many he can do a thousand sit-ups now and, and the whole time we're looking at uh in at christian, christian bale, bale in various states of undress <laughs> looking phenomenal he yeah i was and i don't uh i did i did a bunch of research on the movie because i get anxious when you put a microphone in front of me <laughs> and apparently because there was all sorts of production drama and he, basically they thought the movie was done with for a couple of months <gasps> and he was just like and he sort of just kept going like it was going to happen. Oh. So he just kept, like, working out. And, like, he turned down some roles. And wow. and also, I want to clarify that, like, I just read this online. And I mm-hmm. could be shitting out of my mouth right now. <laughs> but I, I love thinking that, like, and they, because everyone told him, they were like, don't take this role. It's career suicide. And he was like, really? <laughs> Promise? Like, let's do this. And so he just, like, kept working out and kept doing all this stuff, and he would, like, call Mary Heron apparently, and be like, 
like, so I'm thinking about the scene and she's like, <laughs> Christian, we got like, there are other people doing it now. Like, it's not us anymore. <laughs> and he's like, but it's my role and it's going to come back. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the movie got taken away from them, given to someone else and then given yeah. back to them? Well, so, oh, it's, it, it's this like tasty Hollywood drama that <gasps> I love. Okay. So basically... Mary Heron. Oh, so there were a couple names attached. Um, David Cronenberg was attached mm. and then left. And then Mary Heron uh, got attached and she was like, I want Christian Bale. And the studio was like, eh, you know, he's not like a big name and like you don't have that much clout. And so basically at at uh, Cannes, which is happening right now, mm. we're at the anniversary, 20-year anniversary, well, probably like 20-year, one-year anniversary of this mm-hmm. drama, but the studio just was like, they just announced it. They were just like, hey, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be Patrick Bateman and Oliver that. Stone is going <laughs> to direct. And so, and then that's literally when they, they just like kind of tossed him under the bus. Yeah. And then I can't remember exactly what happened, um, uh, but it ended up I think there were just some sort of like creative differences or like timing didn't work out and so um uh they left the project and Mary Heron and Christian Bale went back on and they were like you can have Christian Bale but everyone out like you have to cast recognizable faces in all the other roles so that's why it's like Reese Witherspoon and Jared Leto and like big name um Actors in a lot of other roles is because Willem they Defoe. wanted Willem Dafoe. Yeah, <laughs> okay. they wanted recognizable that makes faces. Sense. I was just I I I love I love studio drama. Yeah. So th- I was reading it and I was like, oh, this is some tasty stuff. <laughs> um, do you know about? Um, damn it, not Gertrude Stein. Who's the modern Gertrude Stein? Oh, famous oh, feminist. Um, uh, Zadie I'm Smith. So stupid. I'm gonna edit out this. Well, silence. Speaking of famous feminists, yes, uh, Gloria Steinem was vehemently That's the name. Really, Gloria Steinem? Yes, because I because I learned then also today that she was yes. vehemently anti-American psycho, mm-hmm. and then she married Christian Bale's dad. Yes, she's his <laughs> stepmom. Yeah, it's just uh, what I a know. small world. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think she was. Yeah, I think she married his dad before he took the role. So then he, she was, <laughs> he's That's like, you're amazing. not my real mom. <laughs> I'm going to play Patrick Bateman. That feels exactly like it's like teenage spite, yeah. even though he's like in his 20s. It's yes. hilarious. <laughs> so good. Oh my God. But his, his, um, his like morning routine scene is so incredible. Just from like the way, the way that it's shot. And I, um. I do think I, I like the combination of sort of like definitely the cameras like admiring Christian Bale's body. But um, I, I was reading today. So this is not my these are not my words, but I think they they describe it perfectly, which is like it admires him like a machine, like a really like sleek mm. car or something like but not as like a sex object. Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't make you think he's like like. I guess like hot, but he's like how like perf how like like the Vitruvian man. Yeah. I guess like like look at this specimen as yeah. opposed to like look at this like sexual being, which I think is a really interesting and intentional choice on Mary Heron's part, um, because like that is that is his that is how he sees himself and that is his goal. His goal is not. I, I don't think he's necessarily thinking about like 
attra- like he obviously wants to be attractive, but I don't think that that's like he's not doing this to like meet a cute girl. He's yeah, doing he's this not, like, because driven like by his sexuality or lust. In that sense, yeah. yeah, he's he's like he's he's designing his body to do a certain thing and to like accumulate power through it. And so like yeah, I just think that scene really perfectly and it and it manages to do that and be like really funny and yeah. I just like everything in this movie is kind of funny because it's it's over the top which yeah. is like partly because Christian Bale's performance is like really fun and over the top. Yeah. Um cuz it would be so easy for that scene to just be like boring as hell. Yeah. And like reading it reading the script and hearing him describe it and I was just like Okay. Yeah. But then when you hear it in his voice, it's like, oh, this is perfect. This makes so much right. sense. But then when you, if you read, when you read the novel, it's just like reading the script. Like this <laughs> is taken like verbatim from the novel, and you're not getting the, you're not getting the visual or like sensory component at all. And it's just like I wake up every morning, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this for like, and there's a lot that's cut out of this. It's way longer. It's several oh, wow. pages. It's really. I long. like fully believe though that like that full length. That that is like actually his internal like <laughs> as a character that it, yeah it does not surprise and honestly it doesn't I also think the narration is a good choice because I feel like every morning Patrick Bateman wakes up and like narrates himself to the world <laughs> he's like he feels like he, he's important enough that he's like I do this and I do this and he like says it to no one there but it feels important yeah that, like that that feels like. That feels like a very Patrick Bateman thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, by the way, I had almost the exact same thought that you said about, uh, I didn't think of him as a machine, but I was thinking of him as like a statue, like yes. David or something. Yeah. But I was like, it's so crazy how you're really admiring how he's this like physically perfect man. But I mean, it's, there's something very non-sexual in the camera's gaze, yeah. even though it is like objectifying. It's not in a sexual way, really. It's a really fine line yeah. that I think it, it, it's, yeah, I, I think it, it's really impressive uh, that that feeling comes through those scenes. Yeah. And I'm like extremely prone to be very attracted to like fictional sociopaths. <laughs> And I'm not at all attracted to Patrick Bateman, even though he's, yeah. like, a gorgeous physical specimen. There's just something about him that's, like, totally repellent. Yeah, and I, that that definitely feels um, like part of his performance, too. Mm-hmm. And just, like, um, he, he just, he's always, he, he's just, like, incapable of being warm, even when he tries to be. Mm-hmm. And, like... And when he tries to be, or and he never tries to be genuinely warm. He only ever tries to put on the air of being warm, mm-hmm. and so it's just like you can see below it. Yeah, and it's so creepy. Yeah, you can here, the cut this out if it's okay. too 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 new in the yeah. news. Oh, but I get the same dish. feeling with Patrick Bateman as this 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 recent Moby. <laughs> nonsense mm. because you see these pictures and it's like you, you see I feel like everyone who I know on Twitter has seen the picture and been like <laughs> the picture of Moby with his arm around yes, Natalie Portman and, and, and she yes, looks so uncomfortable she looks so uncomfortable and, and everyone I know <laughs> who is not a like the the like everyone I know who is not like a straight white man is like you can see in her eyes she yeah. is like 
she's trying to get out of yeah, the situation. She's smiling, but she's like exactly at best like grossed out. Exactly, <laughs> and that that's just like that's uh, something I don't know. And maybe it's just because yeah. the timing connected, but like it really made me think about like the way that like someone like Patrick Bateman sees the world as opposed <laughs> to like someone else because like because everyone who's anyone who's been in that situation as Natalie Portman like saw that but like people who have always been in the position of power have no like it just right. doesn't register and that's sort of like I don't know yeah. it's just made me think about it yeah that's really interesting because there are moments in this in this movie where you see women reacting to Patrick Bateman like the fuck is this guy's deal but yeah but it seems like for the most part, he doesn't really register that. Yeah. Like, he reg- he obviously registers it when he's, like, actively menacing them and they're scared. But in the moments when they're, when they're, when he's, like, trying to be sexy and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, I, that doesn't seem to land with him at all. Yeah. Like, in this, in the scene with um, Sabrina and Christy, the two of them do a lot of kind of, like, sharing looks <laughs> while, while he's giving them weird directions slash talking about Phil Collins. And none of that seems to, like, get through to him. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, that's totally, totally relevant. Yeah. <laughs> he probably also thinks he dated Natalie Portman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same time. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the one one uh, last thing that I really like about this morning routine scene is he, he does all this listing of, like, the stuff he does, the stuff he puts on his face, exercises he does, and he with no transition says um, there's an idea of a Patrick Bateman, but it's just something illusory, an entity, but I'm not really there. He does not transition between ideas at all. It's just like, he almost says it like it's a continuation of the same thought. I He does that a couple times. And every time I, I just really like it. Yeah, it's like, too. so it's such a good way of like, like you, like, Everything about that speech informs you about who he is, especially and and that like that like string on bit is like the fact that he doesn't pause and he just like goes right into it. And this again is like I feel like something he thinks about every morning, you know. But he only but he only thinks about it for those like that for that five minutes that he's narrating it, and that's a scheduled time to think about it. And like that's it. That that's. That's reductive, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, 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 I like his little bits of like reflection. I, I think it's a bit generous to call it self reflection because I don't <laughs> think he's actually reflecting on anything that's important about who he is. He's right. just sort of like reflecting on the nature of existence. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I do think that that grants a little bit of like, like Patrick Bateman is, not a relatable character (laughs) yeah hopefully and like (laughs) the thing and i and i think him thinking about the human condition in that way gives you a little bit of connection because it's like everyone's thought about the human condition a little bit (laughs) yeah so like i think that's a nice connection of thought if not like emotion and so i think it helps draw you through and also like the shock of it really helps like bring a nice close to the scene um and uh, the other times that he does, does it too, I think it like it, it kind of I I because I think the morning routine gets you into kind of a lull yeah. and and it it has a lot of like really interesting information in it, but then like that that sentence or like that that phrase like shocks you out of it a little bit in a way that 
works. I yeah. think. I guess if you if you were coming into this movie, and like I never, I have never thought about anybody coming into this movie without like information about it. Yeah, um, but if you're so if omnipresent, you, yeah. But if you're um, if you're coming into this movie without any information, um, that probably that line would be the first moment where you become aware that there's something wrong with him, right? Like that's that might be his yeah. first like truly bizarre kind of. St- statement or action of the film yeah that's so interesting because i yeah because i i honestly hadn't considered that you wouldn't go yeah, in but I, like, everybody it goes into he's it a sociopath. yeah i mean everybody goes into it knowing it's called american psycho and the main character is the psycho like probably nobody has ever gone into watching it not he does have like that. a knife on the cover I think. <laughs> yeah yeah but um it's still i think it is his first moment of acting like or having a thought that's kind of outside the bounds of normal human yeah. thought or behavior. Um, one last thing about this scene. As he's saying this great thing about how he's not really there, he's peeling his gel face mask off, which is like sim- visual symbolism that is like so perfect that I almost hate it's it. Almost, it's yeah. like almost too on the nose. Yep. <laughs> but then it's also like if you're directing this and that's like right there for you, how do you not take it? I don't know. How yeah. do you feel about it? I go back and <laughs> forth. I can't decide. I almost like it in like a campy way. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, like, that's too much, but it's fun. I agree. I think that if this, I think if this movie were more self-serious, it would like <laughs> stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> but I think that, again, and I feel like I keep going back to this, but I <laughs> I do genuinely feel like he is thinking this and thinking about that metaphor as he peels oh, it off. Yeah. And like he's self-creating this yeah, moment. Yeah. <laughs> like it's him being protected. <laughs> but yeah, it, it does. Because, oh man, when there's a heavy-handed, there's nothing I hate more than a heavy-handed <laughs> metaphor. The only thing worse than a heavy-handed metaphor is calling back to something that happened earlier in the movie via voiceover. <laughs> That's like that you put a little bit of reverb on to make it seem like it's a little far away um but yeah no it it all it it definitely ties that line i i yeah i think it definitely would stick out more if this was like a darker grittier look (laughs) um but also that face mask just seems so refreshing it does yeah let's do face masks after this oh yes (laughs) um all right we're gonna go to commercial and then we'll come back Hey, listeners, do you ever watch a movie for your favorite actor, but then you discover that it wasn't worth your time? Well, my time is worth nothing. I'm Lenny Burnham. I'm the host of The Filmographers, the podcast where I'll watch an actor's full filmography and tell you what stuff is worth watching and what stuff you shouldn't bother with. There's lots of episodes already available, a lot more coming soon. They're wherever you get your podcasts, so check out The Filmographers right here on Major Cast Network. Then uh, Patrick's all ready for the day And we follow Patrick to work um, And we meet his secretary, Jean Who, uh, the first few times I watched this movie And for my my early life with this movie Jean was very much like my way into the movie mm-hmm. She was like my, my point of view character yeah, I would say that that has changed now um, And I'll reveal who my way into the movie is now When we get to them uh, The notable thing about this first scene 
uh, where we see Gene and Patrick together for the first time is he says, don't wear that outfit again. You're prettier than that. <laughs> and he, he gives her ideas for things she could wear, skirts, dresses. He says, high heels, wear high heels. I like high heels. And she, her response to this is kind of like, oh boy, sure. Th- gee, thanks, Patrick. But in a kind of playful way. And that's in the script. It's It's sort of like playful. And like, I totally... I, I I do get being like you have a crush on a terrible person. It's like take the compliment end and like she yeah. thinks they're sparring, but he's like I'm telling you. I want you to dress differently. So then we meet. Um, then we meet Evelyn Reese Witherspoon. Patrick's little fiance. Um, the fur coat she wears in the opening scene drives me crazy. I hate <laughs> I hate the way fur coats look. Even if I didn't have like a moral objection to fur, I just like it drives me crazy to see like this tiny woman being swallowed up by like a bearskin rug. And while Evelyn is kind of casually trying to convince Patrick to marry her, uh, <laughs> and then she she starts asking like, why do you even why do you even work? You're like you're, it's kind of implied like your family are billionaires. You don't have to have a job. And he says, I want to fit in, <laughs> which. I feel like is a very real thing for a lot of real billionaire sociopaths out there in the world. (laughs) And it's especially funny because at at this point you haven't seen this. He doesn't work. (laughs) He sits there, compares business cards with people, and then he goes home. Yeah. Um, It's funny that he hates that job because like, what is there to hate? And it's also, I just, I think it's so funny that he also has the same job that everyone else has, which is like the vice president. They're all because my logical brain is like oh they probably have like different like like parts of the company that they're in charge of but also it's just like it's the funniest thing i i just and it's so perfect for like the people at the top who don't really do anything yeah it just makes perfect sense like you have this fancy title um, but you all have this fancy title and none of you do anything but you're making a ton of money. And so then uh, it's the next day and Patrick goes to the dry cleaner and he tries to get some oh. sheets. He, he tries to get some sheets washed and he can't speak the language of the people who run the dry cleaning place. This is a scene that definitely shows us who Patrick is and also it's just sucks to watch. Yeah. I, it's not like the, like there are other scenes where like Patrick is an ass and it's funny and here Patrick is like just uh, such a dick. I, and that's part of why it's just like, I, it makes total sense to, to, to be there, but it's also, I, I as far as like, sort of like the wavelength you go about like thoughts of Patrick Bateman throughout the movie like I think that's that's like a moment too where it's just like oh this guy's like an irredeemable asshole and I think it's the first time that he interacts with someone who isn't like a wealthy business person in the movie oh yeah like totally see through like all the veneer of like professionalism in oh yeah because yeah because that's how he treats anyone who is like super rich and yeah like oh you're a piece of garbage yeah also i have to say like if you murder somebody on your bed sheets just throw those out and buy new bed sheets yeah (laughs) and and because he's so particular about it when um jared leto's there he like stuff all over yeah and 
his um I can't remember this was in the script and I in the movie I only remember him saying that it's cranberry juice yeah in the script he he goes on to say that it was like he's like like a like a dove chocolate bar like <laughs> syrup and Victoria right uh, I don't know she's only in that scene I oh. I, I think I think Victoria. Yeah, she's only in that scene. Oh, uh, so because she's like, because she's like, oh, some like food. Oh, kinky sex. That's funny. Um, which I think got cut from the movie for yeah. good reason. I think it's like a light or not. It's just like an, an anecdote that would have felt weird in that scene. Yeah. Um, but it was it was kind of funny to read in the script. Yeah, yeah. he just like pushes it on her. It's like figure this out. Yeah, like. Very telling of his character, and I think important to see, but also it's just like infuriating to watch. Yeah. Totally fair. Uh, so then he calls his his side piece Courtney, <laughs> his secret girlfriend Courtney, um, at, who is super drugged out at all times. She's all like constantly on the verge of passing out from the various psychoactive medications she's on. She is um, Courtney is a very quietly tragic character yeah (laughs) really clearly miserable and on the on the the car ride over to the restaurant she's she's like i just want to have a child (laughs) just two beautiful children (laughs) like that is not a happy woman (laughs) and uh this her her storyline gets dropped in the movie um but in the book towards the end uh patrick gets her pregnant and oh. she wants to keep it that he bullies her into getting an abortion and like beats her up a little. Um, and then he, after she gets the abortion, he like sends his car to go pick her up to go somewhere. Um, and he he buys a baby doll and puts it in the back seat and is like, make sure that's there when you pick her up, which is. Honestly, I think, like, a really great <laughs> depiction of, like, unbelievably devastating emotional cruelty. I can see why I didn't make it into the movie. Uh, but <laughs> so, Courtney, my heart, my heart breaks for her. So then we have, we're at work. Oh, no. uh, this is the, this is the famous business card scene. And this is the first time that we really see Paul Allen up close. I think Paul Allen, because this is also a scene where the, Patrick gets mistaken for another person. Right. And yeah. I Marcus think, Halberstrom. Yes. Yes. I think Christopher Bale and Jared, Jared Leto look a bit more similar than the character that they mistake. Yeah. For. Totally. Which Their hair is more similar. Yeah. Yeah. Jared Leto's is just like an uglier version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because he says the thing about like, we look very similar, but I have a slightly better haircut. Yeah. Which would be totally accurate if he was talking about Jared Leto, but he's not. He's talking about Marcus Halberstrom, yeah. who has like a high and tight like he looks fine yeah. he's like neat <laughs> so the the business card scene is much is made of this paul allen gives his card to tim bryce also jared leto's paul allen is like so aggressively like rude and shitty yeah and i like i guess it's because like he has the 
the whatchamacallit account. I can't remember which one it is. Yeah. Um, but it's, I can't yeah. There's so many names. I, and he, and his apartment, there's so many names, yes. His apartment is like nicer than Patrick's. So he, like, the way Patrick was when he was talking to the guys at the laundromat, like, he's that kind of that way talking to Patrick. <laughs> like, like, he's not even trying to put a veneer of being nice on everything. He's just like, oh, how, how are you doing? How's, how's Cecilia? Cause he thinks, <laughs> thinks she's Marcus Halberstrom, who's apparently dating Cecilia. And he's like, just like so snotty with yeah. no even like plausible deniability of like, no, buddy, I was just being friendly. <laughs> but yeah, I guess it's cause he's, he's high status. Um, so then the guys, Patrick whips out his new business card. It's it's bone colored cillian rail font. <laughs> and then everybody whips out their business cards. They're all they all have fancy names for the colors of the cardstock and the font that they use. And like no two cards look exactly identical, but they're basically identical. Oh, it's just all like off-white cardstock and like Times New Roman font. <laughs> like, yeah. But there's like this escalation of like, oh, his is better than mine. Oh, his was even better than that. Love the way the that well the, the the everything in the scene just comes together so beautifully because mm-hmm. you have like the editing which is like really tight on the card mm-hmm. really lingers on them as they're like pushed onto the table mm-hmm. and then you have the sound slowly getting sucked out you can like feel yes. his his like rage at someone having something better than him yeah. and like the the way his like jaw tightens and he even seems like a little bit sweaty yeah he definitely genuinely furious and the He does some great sweat acting in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, the sound soaks out. Yeah. I I just love how how they show the importance of these totally unimportant objects. Yeah. Um, And then I think it's Lewis who kind of like snaps him out of it. Right. Which is really funny. (laughs) Oh, yeah. it, oh, and oh, Lewis is another like I sympathize with you, bro. Yeah, like that. Lew- yeah. yeah. I feel, you know, <laughs> Lewis is clearly a closeted gay man uh, engaged to this incredibly doped up woman yeah. just because it's what society demands of him. Um, but his heart belongs to Patrick Bateman, <laughs> and he keeps trying to flirt. And Patrick is not having it. His compliment and then or his his suit and then Yeah. Oh my god, he says he says like, oh that's beautiful, and he reaches out to touch it and Patrick slips. Yeah. Yeah. Which is oh, it's 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 so perfectly delivered and it's also just sad. Yeah. Um, Like it's just really nice. Yeah. And, and just... But he's not just trying to be nice. Like, he is he also is trying, trying to fuck Patrick. Yeah. But then, because I think it's, like, an interesting... It, because... Because Lewis is, like, so clearly coded queer before it is confirmed. Mm-hmm. And, um... Yeah, he's, like, over-the-top queer. Yeah. He's, like, a <laughs> borderline offensive, yeah. like, very cartoonish. It's so interesting, some of the aspects that he has that are that are shared by, like, the character of Patrick Bateman, mm-hmm. but not, like, the, like, pristine suits and knowing that designers, which is, like, generally, um, generally used in film to, like, like... Every every gay man is a fashion designer in Hollywood. <laughs> uh-huh. and so, like, um, I, I think it's interesting how there are aspects of that that then uh, 
lie to Patrick's character and and um but he is like actively he's using those to like a business advantage and for the power that he can get over the like like class status I suppose but then um he like pushes his masculinity in other ways because I think that there I feel like there is and I, and I always hate the like homophobes are really gay on the mm-hmm. inside like that's just not true and it's like an incredibly harmful thing to think but I, I do get some um like repressed vibes from Patrick yeah and, or, and even if it's not like being gay it's it's it feels like the the mass the pressure of the masculinity you know yeah and just like needing to like grasp it so tightly is is like he's definitely not aware that that's what's happening <laughs> but it definitely feels like that's part of like his posturing and that makes it like particularly sad when he is like so defensive against lewis for the just like paying him a compliment <laughs> and like you know yeah i had on this most recent rewatch of this movie i developed a theory that lewis is like a closeted gay man's like nightmare of how he would be perceived if he came out yeah that, that feels it's colored by me being aware that brett was semi-closeted at the time that he wrote this and that he said that this is his most autobiographical work so I'm like you know connecting things because if you just read the book or watch the movie Patrick seems like virulently homophobic Um, and every time especially in the book every every single time there's a gay character he mentions lisps and he uses he uses the f word a ton like like Almost not even like it's a slur, just like it's what they are. It's so casual. Um, and yet, yeah, less the idea of of being afraid of people, like, knowing that you're attracted to men as of kind of, like, the baggage that comes with the other things people will yeah. presume about you. Which I remember wrestling with when I was on the verge of coming out as a lesbian. I was like, but there's all these things about lesbians that don't apply to me. I think that's part of why that like hit hard for me is because Mm -hmm. I definitely like, I was like closeted like like, until college. So Mm -hmm. like, and to deal with that, it was like, Oh no, I'm not gay. That's those people. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and I'm not like that. So like I totally I totally get the the impulse of like pushing away. Yeah. Um but also that like it's that's you know, it's unacceptable when I did it and it's unacceptable when anyone Yeah. But also, you know, you get the underlying emotion behind it. Yeah, totally. Patrick leaves work and we have our our first murder of the film which is a, a homeless black man in the alley with a little dog. Um, and we talked about this on, the, I talked about this on the American Psycho book episode with Leslie Lee the third and Jonathan Daniel Brown. But uh, Leslie made a really good point. He said like, even even though like the black guy dies first is like a horror movie cliche, the way that the homeless man is murdered like really humanizes him in a way that like they pointed out like jdb pointed out that later when when jared leto gets hacked up like it's hilarious it's super fun but when this guy gets killed it's it's a drag (laughs) it's really sad so in a way it is like an oddly 
humanizing thing. Anyway, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about this murder? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's part of the brilliance of the movie is that it really keeps you on your toes of just like scene to scene, and very rarely are there like scene transitions. Like that, really yeah. Like walk and talks or anything, and I think works because like you never really know what you're walking into, mm-hmm. and so you walk into this, and it's just like it's just so like disgustingly purely cruel and like it just it just sucks to watch if if he was a different person but with the same resources he would have like done something he could have helped this man like a lot and then and 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 it's so sad that like the homeless man obviously and he's unnamed I'm like and it's just the way that he feels he has to interact with him because of like social mores and because he's like this guy wearing a suit and he feels like he's like he's like talking about like oh you're such a good person because he says he's gonna help him and all that and it's just the whole interaction is just like it's really painful (laughs) yeah Yeah. because he has uh, because he has to be nice because he sees the potential life-saving help in Patrick and then Patrick just fucking kills him I think this scene is probably like the the best distillation of like just Patrick as a class metaphor Um, like especially in the moment where and this is a line taken directly from the book which I think uh, basically all of the dialogue in the movie is directly from the book um, where he's like well why don't you just get a job why don't you make something of yourself and and then he says I'm sorry I just don't have anything in common with you and then he stabs him (laughs) he's like and and not that it's um, not that it's like required but like he does mention he and he's like oh did you drink too much and that's why you lost your job and he's like i got laid off yeah not that that would like preclude him help it or anything but it's just it's just this touch of like that assumption of right yeah that some rich people have of just like oh you just didn't like pull yourself up by your feet yeah like even if you're a model poor person and you don't yeah. do anything wrong there's still no there's still no protection there's yeah. no guarantee yeah, it's a really, it's a really sad I think scene. It's, it's it's really sad, and I do think that it is like, again, like a genuinely important scene to have in the movie. To like, like the movie can't be all funny. Like, yeah. Those. Like it, yeah. there, it, I think if you lose like the genuine like discomfort, like the uncomfortable like scenes to watch that make you furious, are like the parts of the movie that meet, that like make it work and they're really necessary. Yeah. And I, it's I, it's a really like I think savvy and wise move uh, on the filmmaker's part, and I guess on Brett's part as well, that the the murder of the of the homeless man is like if they chose one murder to have you kind of like really take seriously, and that's yeah. the one they picked, like the most disenfranchised person in this movie. Yeah. Um. And, like it would be so uncomfortable if he killed a homeless man, and that was like played for laughs. Yeah. But yeah. I could definitely see a reality. Like I'm sure that there are horror movies where homeless people are killed and it's played for laughs. Like I could easily see a version of this where it is done that way. And I'm glad I wasn't. <laughs> um, the scene does diverge from 
the book uh, in one pretty big way. In the book, the man is not killed. Patrick gouges his eyes out very graphically and horrifically and breaks the dog's legs. But he doesn't kill either of them. And then at the end of the book, Patrick runs into them on the street again (laughs) and sees them. Um, And the homeless man is holding a sign that says he was blinded in Vietnam. And and Patrick leans in and says, like, I know you're a fucking liar. And the guy recognizes his voice and, like, immediately wets himself. It's really sad. Um, it's Yeah, it's, like, almost more devastating than the man just, <laughs> just being killed and then you move on. Like, definitely, I wouldn't want to see that in this movie. <laughs> um, not, not necessarily saying that that's a wrong choice for the book to make, but the book is a much more brutal and... A horrific animal um but yeah that that wouldn't really play in this movie yeah yeah there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> yeah so. yeah <laughs> oh a minute ago when you were talking about um sort of like the the ways in which patrick shares traits with like stereotypical like a stereotypical gay man um those weren't your exact words and i'm sorry that's not the way you would put it um um, it it reminded me that brett as again brett says all kinds of stuff all the time but one of the things he said is american psycho is like a um a satire about the sissification of the American male, um, which is a take that I hate, but it's like pretty much established on this podcast that Brett doesn't understand his own work and that he's consistently (laughs) saying stuff that he doesn't realize he's saying. Okay, so we're at the Christmas party. Jared Leto, Paul Allen is there and he calls Patrick Marcus Halberstrom in front of Reese Witherspoon. And she says, why did he call you Halberstrom? And Patrick goes, mistletoe alert. And just like completely sidesteps it. And she just allows it. (laughs) She just... And I I don't even know if it's that she's like oblivious. Mm -hmm. I think she just like doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) She's marrying Rich and she's doing what she's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And I kind of don't think she's that concerned with Patrick at all and in that way they're similar in that like they're just doing this because it's what you do Mm -hmm. and like but I I find her character so interesting because there's like this weird combination of like of this like she like wants to get married and she's like interested in like the process of it Mm -hmm. but like I like I kind of think you could you could switch out a Patrick Bateman for Halberstein and she yeah. just be like, okay, cool. Yeah, and she, like, like, wants to have a wedding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I kind of, like, in any other movie, that would drive me up a wall about a female <laughs> character. Uh-huh. And I really would like it, but I, I think here it's kind of refreshing because she isn't hiding anything. Mm-hmm. Like, she says what she means, and what she means is, you know, she's rich and well-educated and she wants to marry a man who's rich and well-educated. So, like, that's not great. She doesn't really say anything that's important, but what she does say feels like it's what she genuinely feels and that's, like, a refreshing thing in this movie. Yeah. So, like, she's grown up, so, like, she's never had to deal with any problems. Uh-huh. She, like, doesn't see anything as problems, which right. is kind of nice. Yeah. It just, like, it, it makes me, it makes me worry for her, but also it's, like, refreshing to watch because she just, like, 
doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like overall in this movie, uh, I feel like the men are these like vacant automatons and the women, even though they get, for, for the most part, get fewer lines and have less screen time are like much more real people yeah. with real reactions. And I feel like Evelyn is kind of the one exception. Like, I feel like Evelyn feels more similar to, uh, like, a Timothy Bryce or or a Paul Allen than to, like, Sabrina or Jean or Christy. I wonder if that's part of also what makes her character a bit refreshing is that because she is at a similar status as all of those men she has a degree of protection from an audience mm. standpoint um, because a lot of the other people that Patrick interacts with and a lot of the other women that he interacts with are like just like don't have the power that he has oh yeah pretty much all of them are lower yeah. status yeah and, so, and Evelyn's the one that definitely comes closest and I think yeah the degree of protection that that offers her, if if not from like an actual character standpoint, from just a narrative standpoint, um, lets you breathe kind of as an audience <laughs> member and just like enjoy her her ignorance as opposed to be worried for like a character like Jean. Um, so then uh, our next scene is Patrick under the guise of Marcus Halberstrom getting a uh, dinner with Paul Allen at Texarkana <laughs> and Paul Allen is being just the biggest dick once again not hiding it at all like all no subtext just text of like there's not even anybody here why would you and you see him like berating the waiter about like this oh rest like this restaurant's not hip and the waiter's like do you yeah. want me to read you the specials <laughs> which I really feel for that waiter yeah. like hey, this is in, in no way my problem or my fault and I don't know why you're saying it to me <laughs> um, so yeah they have that uh, dinner at Texarkana where Paul Allen's the biggest dick in the world. And then they go back to Patrick's apartment. And this, I think it's safe to say, this has got to be the most iconic scene in the movie. Just like, there are little moments in this movie too that are just so perfect. Like when, because Paul Allen is just so drunk. Yeah. And, and just the, the only relatable moment that he has <laughs> is when he looks at Patrick and he's like... Is that a rape? Because <laughs> yeah. I definitely get that feeling of just like being too drunk and being like, wait, what? <laughs> and then Patrick's response of, yes, it is. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, this is truly unbelievable acting from Christian Bale. So like, good. what a scene. I just, he chews into it. Yes. And just his his terrible white dancing. Yes. Like, I, the way that he moves, I also, like, the way that the scene is blocked, because obviously, like, you want to be able to see what Patrick is doing, but I love that you, you see what, what Paul Allen's doing, too. And the way that he, like, so nonchalantly prepares this murder. Like, yeah. he brings the axe and then he sets it down. It's <laughs> like, all right, it's there when I need it. Like, it's on the raincoat. And it's just like, every, the way that everything is set up, it's like, 
if this was a horror movie, there would be so much tension. But it's yeah. Not, we know what's going to happen. And so, like, it's funny because <laughs> he just doesn't know what, he doesn't know what's coming. Yeah. We're just so ready for it. Yeah. And the entire time that he's setting up for this murder while doing the cheesiest <laughs> 80s white dude dancing, he's just delivering a monologue about the discography of Huey Lewis in the News. Another thing that I feel like he just, I know that these are reviews but also they 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 come off like something he memorized from the back of an album i i just and i i think that's that is definitely partially due to the performance and just like the way he says everything but it it's it's funny i do think that they pick are, are they ex excerpted from and like are they they particular parts are they longer in the book so in the yeah in the book um there are three chapters that are exclusively uh description of an artist's um of an artist's uh discography so it's not woven into the action the way it is in the movie that's like something they had to do to adapt it to the form and it works so well it's amazing um but in the book uh there's a it's it's like essentially no first person like it just reads like it's a wikipedia page or like a review uh yeah he does um huey lewis he does phil collins and he does whitney houston um and they're really long they're like 12 pages or something they're unbelievably long um and you read through it you read through it and it's it just goes on and on and on and then it'll be like on page 11 he'll be like while i was listening to this it made something bad happen into in my brain, and for a few days, I couldn't stop thinking about brains. Also, you can't dance to it. You have to read so much, just like drivel, to, to get to anything that's like at all a character moment. Um, the, the moments that I like, I think the Phil Collins one and the Huey Lewis one um, specifically mention like the commercialism, yeah, them, which I think is a smart choice. Like the the parts of it that they choose to have him say in the movie, I think are like a good like little installment in the themes of the film and so I, I, it's it's like doubly doubly fun yeah as he just off the top of his head says what is definitely like something that he is like thought about and like written down and prepared to say yeah yeah it's like this is a conversation and this is how i want it to go <laughs> yeah it feels to me like you know how when you go on rotten tomatoes there'll be like the kind of like critical consensus blurb <laughs> where it's nobody's particular point of view it's just like the general collective yeah it seems like he's trying to generate his own like critical <laughs> consensus to be like yeah i'm on the same page as everybody about phil collins yeah totally um yeah i really love the way that they adapted that because that would be such an easy thing to just completely drop from the book because it yeah. seems unfilmable but so they got so much out of it yeah and i think it works way better in the movie than in the book the book one of the big differences between the book and the movie is like the movie wants you to watch it and to enjoy it and to have a good time with you <laughs> and the book is like oh you want to fucking read me good luck bitch <laughs> um, and uh i guess it's like personal taste you know but i prefer the movie's <laughs> approach <laughs> and the way that the the way that the music reviews are handled is the like the prime example of that he, he sticks an axe in his head like just the like the sound of the yeah is very well done. yeah and then as he pulls the axe out and like goes in for another swing he says try giving a table at dorsey and now 
you stupid fucking bastard. <laughs> it's really good. That, that just like what what a distillation of <laughs> of Patrick Bateman. There's, yeah, there's, it's a really incredible scene. Uh, Jared Leto also pitch perfect casting. Yeah, absolutely. That's the guy that thinks he's better than you and that you yeah. want to see him murdered. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is exactly. perfect casting. <laughs> um. So then he he quickly, hastily tries to cover up the murder and make it look like Paul Allen uh, got called away to London for a few days. And he does, he leaves a vo- uh, message on Paul Allen's answering machine where he does an impression of Paul Allen um, that I think is really fun. And it's a decent impression. Yeah, yeah. And he says like, He's like, hey, hey, everybody, got called away to London for a couple days. Uh, and then he, he says, I think he says, hasta la vista. <laughs> um, so then in the next scene, we meet Detective Donald Kimball. It's also in the, in the script, Willem Dafoe is the same age as Christian Bale, which yeah. is so funny because Willem Dafoe was born as a 55 year old. Yeah, I know. And so it's just funny that that's how it's. I, I think yeah. it plays off. Um, I think that adds an interesting wrinkle to when you read the script because that is like a compass. Because he's, he's like a very obviously well to do, successful private investigator. Mm. Um, and so him being the same age, I think has a hint, has an extra hint of competitiveness mm. to Patrick, um, seeing that he's like a successful person that I think is like not quite there because he's older in the movie, but, um, but still it's well enough Right. It's yeah. Good news there. That's interesting. I didn't know it was like that in the script, but in the book, it, yeah, he's the same age and he like dresses the same. Like he's supposed to be <clears throat> Yeah, he's supposed to be somebody who like seems like he could pretty much hang with Patrick's friend group for the yeah. most part. Um and then Willem Dafoe it seems like which is like a, a surprising description for a detective, but then Willem Dafoe seems like a much more traditional kind of what you would picture for a detective. Yeah. And I wonder if, now that I know that thing about how they were like required to get bigger names in there, I wonder if they just like found out Willem Dafoe was interested and they're like, well, if we have the opportunity for Willem Dafoe, we're not going to not cast Willem Dafoe. I think that also works too because I like, I like the way that he he really puts Patrick on his toes in a way that, like, yeah. no other character can. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that comes a little bit from seniority. Just a touch. I don't think it's that much, but I think a little bit from the seniority and just, like, the way that he is, like, so uninterested in the game that Patrick and all of his friends play. Yeah. Like, that, that like, game of, like, wealth and business and, mm-hmm. and you know, making the right match and everything. Um he is just interested in getting to the bottom of it. He's got this kind of like insight and he's like kind of really looking at people and seeing them in a way that nobody else in this movie really is. Uh, but yeah, in the book, um, he doesn't, he, 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 it seems like he's immediately like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just talking to, I'm just talking to everybody. <laughs> like he just kind of seems like he believes everything Patrick says. And, and I sort of feel like, uh, I, I feel like he takes up less space in the book. Like, I think he might be more incidental in the book than he is in the movie, if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's a very different character. Um, he doesn't bring as near, nearly as much dramatic tension with him as he does in the movie. But I like it. It's a touch that I think the movie 
needed. <laughs> I remember hearing, which is, you know, gossip and hearsay are right. great things to share on talking about <laughs> information, but um, that they shot, um, uh, I'm not sure if it was this scene or if it's um, a later scene um, with Patrick, uh, where they shot it a couple different ways with like Willem Dafoe um, totally believing him, um, Will Defoe totally doubting him, and one where he just isn't sure, and they sort of intercut those different performances, those different specific performances together, so it's like very unclear whether or not he is just like, yeah, yeah, alright, Patrick, <laughs> or if he's like being a bit more um, uh, discerning about it, um, which is just like a really, like, I think that this is a tangent, but I think yeah. the one thing about filmmaking is that, like, the role of a director isn't, like, as far as, like, oh, they're the head of the film. Like, people get that, but I think that a lot of people might not totally understand, like, the way that they, that directors work with actors and the important, like, the important ways that they draw performances from different things and putting different actors together and stuff like that. And I think that's a really good example of, like, a smart move on a director's part um, to like really instill doubt in an audience is to like literally stitch different performances I think uh, probably it was the I, I think it's the second time that Kimball comes into Patrick's office is where that makes sense for me because when you told me this I was like oh there's totally a moment that like that explains um, because uh, one of the times when he's talking to Patrick it seems like he's very suspicious of him and like he's really like, I've got my eye on you. Um, and then Patrick says like, oh, um, I was at dinner with Marcus Halberstrom that night or whatever. And Willem Dafoe says, that's that's not what I heard. That's 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 not the information that I received. And it's like such a it's such an like innocent reading of a line that seems like inherently suspicious. He's like, it's like it would be so much easier to just be like, well, that's not what I heard. Yeah. But he's like he really delivers it in a way that's like, oh, well, something something must be wrong here because that that's not what I was told. Uh, and it's and it always surprises me because leading up to that, he seems like so on the warpath for Patrick. Yeah. So it makes total sense that it's like stitching together different performances. So that's really interesting. Um, so then uh, then we meet Christy. Not her real name. We don't learn her real name. Yeah, this this is what I was thinking about, like the way that he assigns, mm. um, like identity to other characters, uh, Christy and Sabrina. Mm -hmm. Just like, oh, I put, uh, the flip away is like, call you Sabrina. Uh huh. Shut up. <laughs> Patrick does some of his best being a shitty dude in this scene with uh with these two sex workers christy and sabrina um and they i heard on a podcast that i listened to a long time ago i believe it was on no i don't remember what podcast it was sorry um but uh somebody talking about the the moment when when Christy is in his bathtub and she's like drinking wine um, and it's like a really it's like a really fancy bathroom um, whoever was I think it was Amy Nicholson said this she was like you know she she doesn't know she's an American psycho she thinks she's in Pretty Woman like this is her Pretty Woman moment and then he's like I want you to get on your knees and scrub your vagina and she's kind of like mm, that's sort of weird but she's like I'm still having a nice time like I'm not gonna let that get me down um 
and then the other the other sex worker sabrina arrives who seems she seems christy is just kind of like a girl he pulled off the street who it seems like she might not have even been there for the purpose of doing sex work um or maybe she was it's not entirely clear um and then sabrina seems to be like a an expensive like escort service type woman um and he specifically requested a blonde and then when she gets there he says not really blonde are you more of a dirty blonde <laughs> which is one of my favorite patrickisms <laughs> that's fun job is making the names of hair dye yeah. the specific shades are very important to him yeah um so then he wants like he wants these girls to be interested in what he does for a living and they're like the refresh the honesty is refreshing and then you're immediately just like oh fuck that wasn't like socially speaking Mm -hmm. that was not the right answer yeah so you're immediately like worried for them yeah um and i feel like increasingly as time goes on i i identify more with the pov of christy um just like being like uh you know, this guy wants me to act enthusiastic about this stuff, but I'm not. <laughs> and, uh, and like both of these women, you know, he gives them like instructions on stuff to do, like show, show her your asshole. And he makes Sabrina eat Christie's ass and makes her like dance to, <laughs> dance to, <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> dance she to Phil Collins, right? <laughs> yeah, he has and she does the most like, Oh god, she she's just like I'm gonna move. Yeah, she's just like swaying her hips, while while almost naked and giving him a look like this can't possibly be what you wanted yeah. me to do, right? But he's he seems to be happy with it. Yeah, he's talking about Phil Collins, uh, and he just keeps giving the girls like very specific instructions on what he wants them to do. Um, And he sets up a video camera. The three of them have a very exhausting looking threesome. Yeah, he does like a rock star point at the camera. (laughs) And um, there's like a part there's like a part where he's fucking Sabrina and Christy is just kind of to the side and it seems like he probably told told her that he wanted her to watch or something and she's clearly like so bored but she's like well this is easy (laughs) and I, I feel like this movie really captures the ways that like men being like men being misogynistic and self-centered and insanely narcissistic is super boring for the women that are the uh, subjects of that until suddenly it's scary. Yeah. And usually the turnaround is like really fast. Yeah. It feels like it feels like really like obviously, you know, I've never uh, done sex work for a serial killer, but emotionally I'm like, yeah, I'm familiar with this arc of like person is like eccentric and I just kind of don't want to be around them to like I am. Yeah. Like it happens whenever like Whenever some weird dude like approaches you on the street and is like, "Hey, gorgeous, you got pretty eyes. I want, I want to see your tits," and you're like, "Oh boy, what a dumbass!" But then like he keeps following you, or like he gets more up in your face, and you're like, "Oh wait, I thought you were a buffoon, but you also might kill me." Yeah, cities and mm-hmm. driving. Like I feel like a lot of um, road rage has mm. slowly turned from something where it's just like, "Ah, that asshole," to like. Make sure they don't follow me. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. 
Um, then they there's like such a solidarity between the two. Yeah, because like they they don't know each other, but they're both in this situation, and like yeah. the way that they clearly are just like connecting with each other, and like they both understand the situation they're in. Like I, I, I want them to be friends. Yeah, like, like I want this movie to like 180 to like they leave Patrick's apartment, and then it's like a like a buddy comedy. Yeah. I would love that. That is another one of the like huge differences between the book and the movie is the degree, and it totally makes sense considering the sources, but like the degree to which it captures the female experience. (laughs) Like truly in the book, the the female characters are, you know, bodies upon which horrible like Patrick's horrible thoughts are able to be made physically manifest um and you don't get any kind of sense of their like personhood personalities they don't they really run together they have no like individuality and it's like it makes sense coming from Patrick like we're in Patrick's mind we can't see we can only see what he sees and that's how he sees them so it totally makes sense that that's how it comes out but then in the movie since we get to see him from the outside uh, we get to see the way he comes off to people uh, and the way he comes off to the women that he victimizes. And to me, that's much more interesting. <laughs> but the book is also fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know that that's like something that I think Brett maybe like doesn't like about the movie is that you see Patrick from the outside and you aren't just wrapped up in his worldview, but like... It gets boring inside Patrick's head real fast. He's not an interesting man. <laughs> like, he's just violent. He's not interesting. <laughs> so then there's a scene where, um, well, then we have, another, we have the next scene with Kimball, which is the one that I think probably was the one yeah, that was spliced yeah. together. Um, and it's really unclear if, um, if Kimball is on to Patrick because he brings out the new Huey Lewis in the News CD that, he was listen- that Patrick was listening to while he killed... Um, Paul, but the way he brings it out seems like so innocent. He's like, Huey Lewis, do you like them? Like, it's like very genuine. And Patrick says he doesn't like them because they're too black sounding. Um, <laughs> Classic Patrick. And that, so then um, our next scene is Patrick uh, and Courtney have some sex. The Courtney doesn't seem that interested in Courtney's his uh, his side girlfriend, and the one th- the one thing about the Courtney scene that I wanted to bring up is, uh, they have an interaction where she's like, "Am I going to see you before Easter?" And he says, "I don't know," and she says, "Well, if I don't see you before Easter, have a good one," and she hugs her stuffed cat, and this is an interaction. From not American Psycho, from a different Brett Easton Ellis book, Less Than Zero. In Less Than Zero, Clay has a conversation with, I believe it's his girlfriend Blair, who has a stuffed cat on her bed. And she says, like, am I going to see you before Christmas? And he, and he says, I don't know. And she says, well, if I don't see you, have a good one. <laughs> And I have no idea why they would do that. This is okay, and it's this is like triply fascinating because in the script it's Thanksgiving. Ah, oh. really that interesting. But I just think like, oh, that's that's. But so they weird did move it. Yeah. Um, 
Um, and she does have the stuffed animal script as well. Yeah, it's like they just lifted a scene from Lesson Zero and put it in this movie, and it's such a strange and kind of inconsequential scene that there there must have been a reason for it, but I can't say what. Yeah, I think it, and it also really clues you in. To, it, it really makes her life feel more tragic. Yeah. And it feels so much sadder that she says it about Easter because it's like, who gives a shit about Easter? Well, yeah, or just like the fact that like he's an adult, childless man. Like, why does he give a shit about Easter? Neither of you care about Easter. Like, what? Like, it, if, at least if you're like, we'll have a good Thanksgiving. It's like, that's one of the two big holidays. But Easter... Yeah. Just like seems like she needs something to say, <laughs> and she is just like it. Genuinely feels like she needs it. <laughs> so then Patrick and Tim go out to a cool club, um, and uh, they meet some some models. And Patrick uh, talks to one particular model who uh, who starts talking to him and is asks like do you do you like working in mergers and acquisitions and he says why and she says well most guys i know who work in mergers and acquisitions don't like it um and she's got like a very kind of like knowing look in her eyes like i feel like this actress like really developed this character even though she gets like she five lines yeah <laughs> um and i feel like that about the majority of the kind of like one-off little female characters in this movie like i really feel like there's like that actress like did her work she did full meisner on this character and then like it cuts to they're outside the club and she's like you think i'm stupid don't don't you you think all models are stupid that's okay i i like you anyway um, <laughs> yeah but it really seems to me she's really got this look of like i'm i know that i'm intelligent and i know that men don't see me that way but i'm gonna gradually one by one i'm gonna win them all over with my wit and i know i'm like an old soul it feels kind of like lizzie bennett <laughs> oh wait who's lizzie bennett oh Pride and Prejudice. Oh, okay <laughs> yeah, like a clever austin like mm -hmm. like uh and and then you like later have a patrick and the guys have a conversation where they're all like uh, no girl is smart. Like they can only be pretty. Right. Like no girl has a good personality. So you know that like she's she's fighting a losing battle there. But yeah. all that matters is that she believes it. Yeah, she believes it. Um, and then like they get into her car and then cut to next day. Patrick's in his office and he's playing with a lock of her hair. <laughs> He killed her. <laughs> we don't know it 100% for sure at that moment, but then later we see her head in his fridge, and so it's confirmed he killed her. <laughs> but if this was a different movie, like, she's she's really carrying the energy with her of, like, the love interest in a rom-com. Yeah. She, she, like, feels like... A she feels like a heroine. Yeah, she totally. Feels like someone who, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's the protagonist in her own movie over here. It's funny that <laughs> this movie makes you feel transgressive to have like a model, like a thin, white, beautiful, smart woman being like, oh, she's the hero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's really got, she's got an energy to her where she's like, you and I are gonna like see through the bullshit together, like a Ramona Flower hours kind of like yeah don't underestimate <laughs> don't underestimate me you 
I'm not like everybody else. <laughs> um, but then, you know, uh, she picked the wrong guy and now she's dead. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> Um, but I really, I'm a really big fan of that actress's performance. She really does a lot in a very, very, very small amount of time. Um, and then, uh, then he asked, he asked little Jane out on a date. Oh, Aww, Jane, her dreams come true. Then, then just that whole scene fills me with so much social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Of course, she's like wherever you want to go. Right. Because, like, she's not going to be paying for it. And I can't imagine that she's making, like, a good enough salary. Yeah. And so, obviously, it's like, well, where do you want to go? And he's like, it's not about me. And you can see the deadness in his eyes as the audience. Right. And, and, then, and then she says, Dorsey. Yeah. And it's like, oh, girl, no. Yeah. No. Why did you say? <laughs> you should have said like texting her. Right. You know? And he um, says in the book in his narration, he says that like he can tell she's just trying to pull a name that will impress him. Uh, so I t- that's, that's informs even, my viewing of it. That also <laughs> is incredibly relatable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, knowing, the, knowing the one fancy place that you've never been, but it's like a name pool. Yeah. She's so. just trying to not embarrass herself yeah. with what she names, and then oh. she names. Yeah, the one thing you can get. That is. I just the whole the whole scene is so like socially socially anxiety. Yeah. Because it's like I feel like I am her. Yeah. There's no right answer and you're on the spot, but you have to say something and like yeah. just wanna run out of the room. Yeah. And so then he calls Dorcia and he's like Two at nine? Great. Perfect. And you can hear Dorcia on the other line being like, no, I said no. We don't have any openings. And then he hangs up. And she says, you didn't you didn't uh, give them your name. <laughs> and he says, they know me. <laughs> um, okay. So then, okay, well, he's got his honest date with Jane. He tells her, don't, don't wear what you're wearing. <laughs> and then we cut to her in this beautiful little dress where she almost looks like she's ready for prom. <laughs> it's like a gown almost. Uh, and she's she's staring out. At, and then they, they're kind of talking about like what direction she's headed in life. And she's kind of like, I don't know. And while they're having that conversation, he like picks up a nail gun and moves behind her and like holds it to the back of her head. But then he's kind of like, nah. <laughs> and he just doesn't do it. Uh, I keep just like pulling from other movies that have similar moments, but it has big like what we do in the shadows when. Oh, I haven't watched it. Oh, there's a great there's a great moment where he's clearly preparing. He's like, I like to take people out on a nice date before, and it's it's all paid for laughs because it's a comedy. Uh-huh. He's like, I like to take them out on a nice date before I suck their blood, and you know, because like these are the last hours, and they should have a good time with it. <laughs> and then like he's talking to the woman, I'm saving up, I'm gonna travel, I'm gonna go back to school, and he's like. Great. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is like exactly oh, that scene. Here we go. <laughs> is this a different scene that I'm thinking of when they go to his, his friend who's played by Genevieve Turner? Oh, that's not. Is that later? That's not Gene. That's he picks up Christy. Oh, my God. The sex Christy. worker again. Yeah. Of course. Oh, God. I didn't know that was the co-writer. She's so great. But yeah, yeah that's a little so bit later. Good. And um, yeah, I, they they make remember what the actual joke is but they make a joke in the movie about her not being a lesbian because in real life like, oh she is a lesbian. lesbian do you know is she also 
an actress by trade or was this kind of like a cameo? Sure, she's written other stuff and okay. she's acted in other stuff. So I'm not, I think she's... Because I really liked her performance. Yeah. She was really good in this. She has a fun role too. I like that. Yeah. I like He's, her sparring with, with that. Yeah, she's like funny. And she's, she's interesting because she's, she's like 1%... Like a one percenter piece of shit, like Patrick, but she's also like got a personality. Yeah, yeah. it's like I kind of hate her because she's like so super privileged, and she's like, "Where do you summer, Southamptons?" But she's also like, she's kind of doing a one woman show. She's just like, she's just like cracking jokes left and right. (laughs) She's like, "Oh, let me call my dealer." Oh, you were you were hanging out with that harlot, Allison Poole. She worked at a tanning salon. That's all you need to know about her. She's just dishing left and right. (laughs) She's the best. Before we see the. I think her name's Elizabeth, the character that, what's her name plays? Genevieve Turner? Genevieve Turner, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think her name's Elizabeth. But before we meet her, um, before we meet her, Patrick picks up Christy again. um, And Christy is very hesitant to go with him because she says that after last time, she had to go to the hospital. She says she had to go to the emergency room. I think he kind of slipped over that too because it, it, it's pretty explicitly like open. So oh, yeah. He takes out a coat hanger. Yeah. And yeah. It, and then it cuts away, but but we see kind of scrapes very, on the shoulder. Like, very, the bad things happen. Yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. When they're, le- when they're leaving, I think you see Christy's shoulder has like, like deep, gouges on it probably from the coat hanger and Sabrina's like nose is bleeding yeah. so yeah you don't you don't see exactly what happens but it's clearly something bad and yeah and Christy says she had to go to the emergency room so it was something bad um but he he lures her back into his car with the money that she clearly needs yeah it's another moment of using uh, abusing his his financial power just just another like class aspect of the the movie is that he knows that he can get people to do stuff because he has enough money to he has so much money to throw away yeah and he doesn't even like he doesn't even have to actually throw it away in this instance because he knows he's gonna kill her so she's not gonna she's not gonna cash that check she's not gonna take that cash anywhere yeah and it's really it's it's hard it's a hard scene to watch because she's really you know, trying to take, trying to <laughs> preserve herself. Yeah, yeah. But she's, we don't really know anything about her life, but she she has to have this money for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and she is much, when she's taken back to, it's not Patrick's apartment this time, he takes her to uh, Paul Allen's apartment. And she, she says, this is nicer than your other apartment. And he says, it's not that nice. <laughs> um, but she's much more reserved. Um, she was in the, la- in the last time she was with Patrick, she seemed like mostly kind of bored and over it for the most part. And then sometimes having fun. But she seems like full of dread yeah, very, this entire time. Very like self-preservation. Yeah. And I feel like there's a... This movie really captures, with Christy in particular, really captures something that I haven't really seen depicted in a lot of other media of that feeling that, I don't know, I uh, I don't think um, cis men experience this, but I think probably everybody else can relate to it, of being like, 
maybe some maybe some cis men have experienced it. I don't know everybody's life. Um, but of of being like aware that you're putting yourself in physical danger, but kind of like unable to remove yourself from it just because of like social obligation. Yes. Just because yes. like you're like yeah, you're kind of like he might kill me, but it would be so awkward and rude to be like I'm gonna leave right now yes. that you just write it out. <laughs> I you want to extract yourself so badly, but almost the like the the shame of breaking that societal norm just like stops you. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Because you feel like there is a chance that I'm imagining it, and what if I cause a big scene and th it was nothing, and then I'm this like hysterical shrew who caused a big scene and thought she was gonna get raped and murdered, and it was nothing, and that just paralyzes you. Yeah. <laughs> and you see that acting on her, like you see the paralysis and kind of the fact that she's she's like knows she's not safe but she yeah but there's but uh, it's almost less safe to leave yeah i mean it's equally unsafe in both places but like from yeah. her, her perspective i think she yeah. she knows that he would come after her yeah and um uh, Elizabeth aggressively does not pick up on this <laughs> and is just a cheery little chirpy bird. <laughs> she's been with people like Patrick her whole life. Right, yeah. She's and she knows him. She, yeah, she, I think he so says they went to college together, so they're like old buddies. Like, of course, nothing's gonna happen. It's just Patrick. But yeah, but something does happen. He kills both of them. Um, he. Uh, he kills Elizabeth pretty quickly. They're having sex under some sheets and you can't really see what's happening. And then just like a big blood pool, bloom, a big blood stain blooms on the sheet and Christy is standing outside it and she sees it and she screams and she runs away and Patrick looks up with blood all over his face and chases her. And then we get like the most kind of traditional horror movie type sequence of the yeah. whole film. Like for for this one for like five to seven minutes, this is like a slasher movie. Yeah. With his him running around with his chainsaw. Yeah. Totally naked except for a pair of sequins. Yeah. Great which honestly like I is the most he managed to don't really see much. Yeah, you, you don't really see much dick. Actually. You really don't. He, he, yeah, he has to keep that that the base of the chainsaw <laughs> for that to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, honestly, like I can think of few looks more embarrassing than naked with sneakers, but he kind of really pulls it off. Like he's working it. Yeah, <laughs> he's working it. He looks pretty good naked in the sneakers. Um. Yeah, he chases her, uh, and she's as she's running away from him through through Paul Allen's apartment. She keeps fi she's finding all these bodies that are hidden everywhere. Um, this one moment where he like catches up to her in the bathroom and he grabs her leg and he like starts gnawing on her calf has always really jumped out at me because it's like it's kind of like to me it seems like the one moment of violence that is like not that stylized. Because it's, like, awkward and quiet and has, like, a very small effect. Yeah. It's, like, what it would really be like if somebody tried to, like, take a bite out of your calf. Just like, ew, what? Don't, what are you? <laughs> and it's, it's so, it's just so strange because it's such a, like, small moment among, like, all these, like, big, larger-than-life, like, splatter-type yeah. moments of violence. And all very, like, um, 
this feels like the moment when Pat, like, because everything else that's happened so far is, as far as, like, the violence that Patrick has done has felt very planned out. Mm-hmm. Um, even when it's impulsive, like, with the homeless man, um, it feels like he knows where it will end. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, a situation. This feels like what happened. It feels like he forgot Christy was there. Oh, yeah. And, then, and so then he, this is, like, unplanned yeah Patrick Bateman and there's also yeah that's like such an interesting moment because like that's not the kind of like that's even a weird bit of violence for him yeah um it seems like and it's and it's yeah it doesn't really fit it's very like yeah. realistic and just yeah. like yeah, I, I yeah it like really I wish I had like more of like an insight on it um but yeah there's something about it it yeah, jumps it's out definitely like a moment it's yeah. sort of like an act like like sort of like a choice that actor makes sort of mm. like um improvises mm. and then it just like it works and you don't know why but like it definitely does yeah you know? yeah so then she um uh, she gets out of his apartment and she's running down the hallway and she's in her little one piece lingerie romper. And there's something, it's so interesting to me. There's something so non sexual about her appearance, even though she's this like, like, I feel like traditionally the like terrorized sex worker, like running away in lingerie would appear like very sexualized. But maybe, maybe part of it is the cut of the romper it kind of makes her look like a baby or something like she I feel like her form kind of seems like really desexualized and kind of like childlike and kind of awkward yeah yeah and I think that's something that comes from just you know having a woman behind the camera too yeah the way that she's it's never like leering at her yeah it's never even really like studying her the way that it studies Patrick it's just like I think it. I think it really genuinely sees the situation as like, because it is like the one horror bit, and I think it does like see it that way, and it sees it as like. I think the film has like a lot of sympathy for Christy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I'm really happy for that because I think that's why, uh, like, I, I think you, yeah, you have to like, she's an like an important character, and I and I, I'm glad that that you're sort of like with her in all the moments of the film that she is in and so then it just makes it all the more tragic when yeah the chainsaw falls yeah stairway. yeah and you think for a second that it missed her it didn't got her right down the middle at least at least she died immediately yeah and the, this also i think I think the scariest moment of the movie which overall I don't think is a scary movie that's just not really what it's going for but when she's running down the hallway and screaming and beating on doors yeah. and nobody nobody opens it's, a door, nobody like looks the outside. Complex is abandoned. Yeah, like, yeah. Or else it's like a like Kitty Genovese situation. Yeah. Like it, it's yeah, it's unclear. It's like is the is this Are like hell and there's just no one here? Or yeah, yeah. And you don't know. You don't get any indication. You would think that when people heard the chainsaw in the hallway, yeah. they would call nine one one, but yeah it's yeah it's unclear but it's really scary and I think the lack of clarity is what makes it scary yeah and I I think it's like one of the 
not one of the first, but one of the like most obvious pushes into surrealism as mm-hmm. like the third act of the movie starts kicking in and it gets like more and more and more surreal. Yeah, totally. As Patrick's mental state deteriorates more and more. Um so then um he so then we after uh after he drops the chainsaw through her he goes to a restaurant and he's drawing her dead body on the on the, the tablecloth with a crayon yeah evelyn's right there yeah but she's like not she's not noticing it <laughs> yeah and he dumps her and he has to do it a couple times before she realizes he that he's serious. Then he has to return some videotapes. Yeah. Um, this is like the opening or the, yeah, the opening scene from Legally Blonde, but through the, the guy's perspective. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's going to law school. So he dumps Evelyn. He goes to return some videotapes. And then he goes, he totally unravels. He goes to the ATM. The ATM tells him to feed it a stray cat. There's just a kitten at his feet <laughs> out of nowhere. I don't think I that kitten's real. The ATMs all ask just for a stray cat. When your car gets <laughs> You know, I never saw a stray cat in New York. Not one. Oh, my God. Never saw one. <laughs> but yeah, so then he, um, a, a lady's like, what are you doing? Stop. And like an he just shoots her. Yes. And he shoots her. And then he he kills a bunch of people very needlessly. Yeah, and he like runs. To, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. But there's a moment, I think, where he like, he's running into the building and he like misses someone and they're just kind of like not even paying attention. But then he runs back. <laughs> yeah. It's like he, he, yeah, he is, he is yeah. a mess. And he runs into an office building and the security guy says like, oh, good evening, Mr. Smith, burning the midnight oil. Like, perfect. This guy thinks he works there, but he just shoots him anyway. Just adds to the body count. And then it ends in like a standoff with the police and he shoots the cop car and it explodes. <laughs> and you even see on Patrick's face, like, I was not expecting that. <laughs> that doesn't seem right. Um... And then uh, this leads him to, as he's crouched in hiding from a police helicopter, he calls his he calls his uh, his lawyer, and he confesses to everything. He confesses to some stuff that we saw and some stuff that we didn't see, but that was in the book, which is a oh, fun cool. fun yeah inclusion. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's a really good monologue. He he perf- he delivers it. So- so well yeah like this is i i feel like christian christian bale knew like when people were like this will destroy your career he was like that's exactly what people say about career making (laughs) and he was right (laughs) yeah yeah he's he's like for the first time he kind of seems like he's full of remorse it's not exactly remorse but it's like self-pity yeah yeah regret and his his crying makes his voice really weird (laughs) um and he he ends with i guess i'm just a pretty sick guy (laughs) uh really great it would have been his if he'd been nominated for an oscar as he should have been that would have been his oscar moment yeah um and so then he goes back to Paul Allen's apartment to try to clean up the murder mess. And there is a scary realtor there. And she says, don't you ever come back here. The apartment has been completely cleaned. 
no bloods, no murders. And she says, don't ever come back. And he says, I won't. And I feel like there are two main ways of reading this scene. What do you think is going on in this scene? Oh, it's this is one of those things where like there's two different variables yeah. that I feel like are like, like, were the bodies there and what does she know? Right. So it's like, and, and it's hard to line those two things yeah. up because like, okay, there were bodies there and they were cleaned up, but... How would the realtor know and how would she know that this was him? But mm-hmm. like, I guess if, but if the bodies weren't there, then he was there and she just knows him as like this annoying loiterer. Right. So yeah. Like, I, there's, I kind of, because, just because I don't like Patrick Bateman, I like for my own personal interpretation, I want to believe that he's just been like mindlessly walking into this apartment and like, Miming murder. Please <laughs> leave. I'm this house for a showing. And then he, you know, and she's like, don't come back here. Uh, Very dramatically, just because I want Patrick Bateman to be a blubbering fool. Um, uh, so you think, you think that there's like a. a kind of realtor conspiracy to cover up any bloody murders that happen in any particularly primo apartments. Exactly. You can't have people questioning things. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what happened. I think if you're in the business of selling billion dollar Manhattan properties or whatever, yeah, you'll cover up you'll cover up some murders, sure. It's a dirty business. Yeah, the question of how does she know how does she know who Patrick is is a little unclear. I always read it as like <laughs> yeah Harvey, Harvey's snoring <laughs> he's got real bad snores <laughs> he's under that red blanket <laughs> yeah he tucked himself into bed I always kind of read it as like this lady knows there's some serial killer who frequents this place and like this guy just walked in without an appointment and like a weird look on his face and yeah. she's like I've been waiting for this moment I knew the killer was gonna come get the fuck out of my apartment <laughs> this is Sandy Brown realtors <laughs> yeah. realtors do have that sort of energy they yeah they, they all feel like Scientologists yeah. <laughs> and he's like I won't he's terrified of her this is one of two moments in this movie where he's like scared of somebody else really like the other one is when Lewis Carruthers tries to hook up with him in the bathroom and he, he tries to choke him we didn't even talk about that but he like tries to strangle him but he's so paralyzed by homophobia that he can't even strangle him and he just yeah. has to run away and he like because he kisses his hand yeah because Lewis I, just oh, sees that oh, he's like oh he's he's you fall in love with the straight girl. You can't fall in love with the straight girl. Um, we'll fix that Lewis. Is a particularly queer woman trope. I was not trying to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, just calling out because we, we've all done it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel so bad for Lewis in that yeah. scene. He. Uh, calls Jean and he also he confesses to Jean that he's a killer and she opens up his notebook and sees that he's been drawing oh, weird sex murders and we don't get any closure on that who knows what she does with that information could be anything 
Um, and then we enter into our final scene where Patrick goes to a party. His lawyer's there, and he's like, "Did you get my Did you get my message?" And the lawyer's like, "Oh yes, Halberstrom. <laughs> that was a great joke." <laughs> yeah. So he doesn't think it was real, and he doesn't think Patrick is Patrick, even his own lawyer. I do like. There's so little to like feel sympathy for Patrick Bateman for, but in the moment he's where he's like. I'm Patrick Bateman. You're my lawyer. He's like, he can't believe that even this person like doesn't notice him, doesn't know who he is, and yeah. is like desperate to just be recognized. I think it's, yeah, it's like this moment of him trying to actually, and he's not actually, he's not even trying to like reckon with what he's done. He's literally just trying to like figure out his plan for going right. forward, for yeah. getting out of it. And, and he, he has so insulated himself and then the only people he has deemed worthy of his company don't even fucking know who he is or care that he is like trying to be like say a real thing right now yeah so like everything that he has like held so dear in his life just turns on him at the end yeah it's very it's it's not poetic justice because poetic justice would look a lot worse for Patrick but yeah but it is it is good to see that (laughs) <laughs> that he is betrayed by yeah. the, the the society that he's part of. But it betrays him, but it also protects him. Yeah, because his because they don't believe him, and they're not. Yeah, because they don't even it. think Paul Allen's dead because they think they're still seeing, seeing Paul Allen because they can't identify anybody. Um, and yeah, they're never. He'll never be fingered for it. Um, and then it ends with him back where he started, hanging out with the crew, talking about whether they should get dinner reservations <laughs> and then uh we end on his final monologue where he says uh there can be no catharsis for him and that this confession has meant nothing which is a great line to end on yeah and that's that statement is towards the end of the book but there's a couple more paragraphs after it um but i think it was really they made a really smart choice i think of making that the final the final line of the movie. Yeah. That it's like the whole movie has been his confession. Um, so now we did it. We got to the end. Um, so um, I would like now to rate it on a scale of one to five somethings from the movie. Um, and before you give your rating, if you could give a little bit of kind of a, a closing statement of of yeah i think i would rate the movie american psycho out of five right yeah five um i would give it four out of five four out of five of uh very nice um i i think I, I think it's it's a it's a valuable watch and I think it's saying a lot. I think it's I I, I think it would be four out of five because I, I think it is like it is messy, but I also think it's messy messiness like makes it special in a way. Um, because I, I think that particularly like Mary Heron really knows how to use it to add like ambiguity but not to um, confuse or overshadow any of the important points that she is also making throughout her work. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a really good, um, combination of, uh, thriller and a comedy 
and I think largely it accomplishes what it sets out to do. Um, even though it is definitely not for everyone. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it three and a half uh, watermarked business cards <laughs> out of five. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, my, I think the things preventing me from the reason I give it three and a half is because I think it's a really enjoyable and like really watchable movie. I've probably seen it like 30 times. Like, and it's one that I could probably, I could put on in the background like every day if I wanted to and just like have it on. Um, uh, I, I think the things that prevent me from giving it a higher rating is, uh, I think, Mary Heron and uh, associated creative team did a really good job of um, like streamlining this into something that is like digestible and like um, you know pleasant in a certain way like aesthetically pleasant from a source material that was like really challenging and disagreeable and unpleasant and all over the place um, but I, I feel like for what the content is, they went a little bit too far in that direction and kind of smoothed off the edges too much. Um, and f uh, maybe part of it is that I, I've gotten desensitized through reading all of Brett's work, which, you know, reaches the highest heights of brutality that human beings are capable of. But um, uh, for me, like, there's not that many moments in the movie that really, like get me or like that really it doesn't really feel that dark uh and i think it could i would really like to see like a, a remake of american psycho that hits a level of darkness that's more like something michael haneke might do um like i would really like a like funny games level of dark from an american psycho um yeah but it's it's like there's just something about it it's like a little bit too slick and palatable for uh what it's doing um but it's really fun really good watch <laughs> and i definitely recommend it i just don't think it's the highest of high art um yeah so that's it we rated it great job we crushed it um so now before we say goodbye um i just want to uh give my uh, listeners an opportunity to balance out their media diet with something not by a cis white man um i always recommend a book that it's not by a cis white man. You can recommend whatever you want. It doesn't have to be a book, and it can be by a cis white man. I'm not going to enforce the rules. <laughs> um, but my recommendation is going to be The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath, um, which I think is an interesting, uh, as a semi-autobiographical novel by a person suffering depression, uh, which is also what American Psycho's origin was, Um I think it's an interesting kind of side by side of like the ways that men and women <laughs> experience depression and kind of like the it, for uh, for uh, a young man like a young Brady Sinellis, it kind of uh, it takes the form of like violent fantasies, and for a like a young Sylvia Plath, it's just kind of it's much more internalized. Um, uh, I think that's just an interesting case study. It's also just a really good book. Um, it's really. It gets heavy on you, but it's also be beautiful. <laughs> Maddie, what would you like to recommend? Um, I would like to recommend Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. Ooh, she's great! It is a, a, a collection of short stories that also deal with Does it have the husband stitch in it? 
I love the husband yeah. stitch. It's so good. I haven't read so any of the other ones. Um, yeah, that was it. It's like it's particularly centered on. It's like this fun blend of like horror, but like romance and like. Uh, particularly uh, just like women's perspectives on things but like there's some elements of like uh it's like it's a weird combination of all these like really cool things so especially if you're like someone who likes to watch um horror movies made by women there's some i i feel like it would go really well i would recommend a movie too yeah it would go really well if you like watched raw which is on netflix it's a Mm, yeah a girl and she's campbell in college it's very good (laughs) and i feel like that would be a really good compliment to her body and other parties because it's sort of about like femininity but also like the brutal side of it but then also like societal expectations and also like queerness and like there's a lot happening so it's very good very nice good recommendations i'll have to check that book out i, I read the husband's dish i loved it so, so much my favorite, my favorite one. <sighs> nice all right uh maddie thank you so much for being here thank you for having me this has been so much fun hey, would you like to plug anything um your twitter i'm on, I'm on twitter i'm on twitter i don't i don't do anything exciting. Do tweet about movies a lot. Um, at Mad Eye Maddie, M A D E Y E underscore M A D I. Um, yeah, summer movie season's coming up. Oh, so yeah. that's pretty much all we're going to be talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah. All right, very nice. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Katie L. Wright. You can follow the show at Brett Easton Pod. Uh, and uh, why not check out some of our amazing brother and sister shows here on the Major Cast Network? Maddie, you appeared on an episode of one of our sister podcasts, King Me. I do. I, I talk about Gujo. Yeah. I talk about more movies. Such awesome. Yeah, I was on King. I was on King <laughs> Me as well. I talked about Christine. Uh, it was a good time. Real good time. John Carpenter. Not not at his best. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Maddie. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> and goodbye. <laughs>